ladies and gentlemen, you are now listening to the Buffalo Hockey Central Podcast. Let's go Buffalo. Bailey from the corner up top, Bullock winds and fires, Hauser, what a save! House money, Michael Hauser with a great glove hit, no open houses tonight, the deal has been closed and he's got his first NHL win in his first game. Now Clark winds up and shoots one, scores! He takes the shot and Hauser beats him and Buffalo wins it in a shootout! And here's John and Craig. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks again for joining us. I've got Craig with me uh, with the Buffalo Hockey Central podcast. Craig, what's going on, man? Absolutely nothing. And that's the way I like it. All right. Well, we're going to get right to it. We got a lot to go over. I uh, hope you've been well. Hope all of our listeners have, have been doing well. I know it's been a while, but uh, I'll save you all the details. We've been juggling quite a bit over here. Um, mostly with personal life, not so much with the podcast, but some, some as well with the podcast. So, uh, appreciate you guys tuning in again and let's just get at it. Um, we are, let's see, 50, 54 games into the 56 game season. And isn't it crazy that, you know, after Thursday and Friday, uh, Thursday and Saturday, uh, the season's going to be over for the Sabres, Craig, how do you feel about that? Uh, I feel pretty good about it, actually, um, because I will say this. They are playing a better brand of lousy of late, and so it's been uh, much more entertaining to watch and uh, much more palatable to watch, to be very honest. But at the same time, uh, you know, I think for me personally, I've seen enough from Don Granado and the young guys to see that there's some hope. And, um, you know, I don't need more of a season to see that. And I think for me personally, you know, this is just the right amount of games uh, to where it doesn't drag on to the point where, you know, I mean, if you're playing 82 games in this season, it's not going to change the, the standings very much for Buffalo. They're not making the playoffs anyway. So um, for me, you know, I'm definitely OK with it uh, and definitely happy with uh, the progress that we've seen, especially over the last 35 or so games. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're right at the end here and, you know, it's kind of hard not to look at the standings, not so much in regards to the playoffs, but in regards to uh, where Buffalo stands and, and how the uh, draft lottery might shake out. Uh, I feel like that's been the main topic of conversation for, for most off seasons, it seems like. Um, But here we are once again, hopefully it'll be the last time in a while. Uh, but yeah, Buffalo's looking pretty good to lock up the best odds for the top pick. Um, it's a little different this year, folks. So just to, to give you a, an insight of what the uh, standings are looking like, um, Vancouver, they're at 41 points, but they still have like, they still have a, a lot of game, like nine games left or something. I think they, they had COVID hit them pretty hard. And so they still have a lot of, uh, a lot of games left um we could only tie them if we won out so they're out of reach anaheim uh they're just ahead of us at 39 points through 53 games played so they still got three more on the schedule um and they're two points ahead we've we've got two games remaining and we're at 37 points so uh tiebreakers do go to us over anaheim so or i'm sorry it would favor anaheim i suppose depending on how you want to look at it but we would have still the lowest seed if uh, we tie Anaheim in points. So we need either uh, one regulation loss or um, a regulation win for Anaheim, and, and that would do it. Uh, that would lock up at least a top three pick. Um, and then just to, to get you guys all up to speed, the Seattle Kraken will be the 32, 32nd team in the NHL uh, going into this offseason. Um, they will automatically have the third best lottery odds uh, for teams vying for the top overall pick. And then again, only the top two picks will be lotteried off this year. Um, so yeah, Craig, it looks like, uh, you know, we probably have a top three pick at this point and it's kind of hard not to start looking forward to what the draft looks like. And, and especially in that top three range. So 
uh, we'll, we'll get right into it. Craig, who are you looking at at the top of the draft? Or, you know, if, if we are one through three, somewhere in there, who are three good prospects that, you know, Sabres fans might be able to look forward to? Well, what's interesting about the draft this year is kind of the same thing that plagued the NFL uh, with the draft they just had last weekend and in, in, in the fact that uh, scouting and players playing this year have been really odd. I mean, you've got some guys who played full-ish seasons, like the NCAA guys uh, played a pretty decent season, uh, and then you have leagues like the OHL, which didn't play at all. Um, so, you know, the idea of scouting some of these guys, I know some of the higher prospects, too, went overseas and played in Europe this season as well. So th- there's been a lot of odd things going on with the prospects this year. And I'm not sure, you know, m- many of the pundits have talked about this draft class as not having that tier one superstar at the very top of the draft. And, you know, if you look at recent drafts, there's been pretty much that number one guy, maybe even number one and number two guy uh, to look at in every draft over the past, you know, six or seven years at least. Uh, and and now this draft, they're saying, well, there's a whole cavalcade of guys that could go number one overall or be in the top three. And I'm not sure if that's a reflection of the lack of information because teams have so much, so much, so few pieces of information than they usually do. Uh, or if, in fact, it is just a matter of talent and the fact that the top three guys could be relatively interchangeable and you could be dealing with you know, actually picking a guy for organizational need as opposed to just taking the the surefire superstar. So it's kind of an interesting scenario. Uh, for me, uh, I will say this, though. Uh, the, the the number one guy on my list right now is Matty Beneers out of Michigan. Um, you know, I watched him in the junior tournament for Team USA playing as an underage player. Uh, he reminded me a lot of Jack Hughes in his slipperiness. Um, the thing I like about Beneers, probably more so than Hughes or more so than a lot of prospects uh, over the last couple of years, is he comes out of he comes into the draft as a complete 200 foot player right out of right off right off the bat. Um, the guy is known for being 200 feet of pure effort and energy to go along with really good hands, really nice offensive instincts. Um, you know, yeah, you're not looking at a Connor McDavid. You're not looking at an Austin Matthews type offensive player, but you're looking at a guy who can play in all phases of the game. And those are the guys who you see having some NHL success fairly early on in their career. Look at Dylan Cousins, for example. You know, that guy plays a 200 foot game like nobody's business. And he came in and has not looked out of sorts in the NHL pretty much at all this year. So uh, for me, Matty Beneers is number one. Um, Owen Power. Uh, another player out of the University of Michigan, defenseman, uh, big guy, 6'5", 214 at the moment. Uh, I, you know, right now, according to Bob McKenzie's uh, draft list, uh, there's pretty much most GMs are calling him the number one prospect. Um, and for me, though, uh, when I when I kind of dig into his his skill set, um, he he kind of reminds me in a way, and, and this is kind of what. I don't want to say bothers me, but makes me think uh, I shy away a little bit. He reminds me a little bit of Rasmus Ristolainen in that in that now power is is, you know, the big guy like Ristolainen. He throws his weight around a little bit like Ristolainen. He's got all the tools in the world like Ristolainen. But what's what's the knock on him is that he's got all these tools, but they're not all in the toolbox at this point. And and so there's a little bit of development there, more so than you normally would have with a number one, a potential number one overall pick. Uh, but he has all of the tools. So if you have a coaching staff, and maybe the Sabres do now, we're not sure yet, who could really develop him properly uh, and you could unlock those things. Well, I'll tell you what, he he would not be a, a terrible player to have along the blue line with uh, you know, Rasmus Dahlin and maybe Henry Yokiharu and, and some of these other young guys like Bryson and Borgen and things like that. So, uh, you know, it wouldn't be a bad pick either. And then my third guy who I would say I'm kind of, Flip-flopping, um, but for me and, and, and the Sabres, uh, I would say uh, Dylan Genther out of uh, Edmonton of the WHL, uh, a uh, winger, 6'1", 170, uh, plays the right side. Uh, he's risen up the draft board a lot this year, and he's the kind of guy that, for Buffalo anyway, I look at as a potential fit there because the Sabres are in dire need of top six forwards. And they're, they're, they've gotten some, right? Dylan Cousins has, has proven early on he's going to be one of those guys. 
But uh, I think this guy also slots into that number number one, number two scoring winger. Um, you know, if, if if his trajectory remains as it's been this year, he's got that 40-goal upside. Not saying he's going to ever get there, but he's got that upside to him. And and for me, at the moment, you know, and I know Sabres fans are, are dying for some uh, uh, home run talent here. And, and he might be a little more of a wild card pick, uh, a little more roll of the dice. But to be very honest, uh, when you're talking about top six scoring, I have no problem rolling the dice on a guy with this much talent uh, at a position that the Sabres could use as some top six wing scoring. So those would be my top three, at least as we sit here today in the early stages of May. John, your thoughts? Yeah, I've got some similarities there. Matty Beneers is the number one, and you know he might not have the highest potential. In fact, I would I would say he definitely doesn't have the highest potential um, out of the entire draft class, but probably the safest pick, and we actually talked about this the other day, but probably just the safest pick. Uh, like you said, full, complete 200-foot player already, um, very responsible in the D zone. Not exceptional in the O-zone, but he can make plays. He's got a good shot. Um, He'll put up points. Uh, You know, kind of just a comparison that jumped out in my mind. I haven't, and I haven't really looked into these guys as much as I'd like to, but um, this is Johnny Taze, Jonathan Taze of Chicago. Uh, Real quick, we we don't need to get into that too much, but what do you think about that comparison for Beneers? Yeah, I like it. I mean, you talk about a natural leader and you talk about a guy who plays an honest hockey game every single day. Um, Taves never had the highest offensive ceiling when you compare him to Patrick Kane. But when you just look at his career on its own merit, he had a, he had a lot of offensive capability, obviously. Um, and I, I've heard some people kind of whisper around Ryan O'Reilly as well. Um, you know, when you talk about a guy who can contribute offensively at a relatively good clip, but be very responsible and good at the 200 foot game. Now, he has a lot to do to get to Ryan O'Reilly stage, obviously. But really, truly, John, if you take take those two comparisons and you put him anywhere near the Sabres, boy, I think Sabres fans would be pretty happy about that. Yeah, for sure. So so he's my number one as well. And he's listed as a center. But I mean, look, you get enough guys who know how to play hockey, you can kind of mix and match them wherever, wherever you want. So, you know, he's somebody that could probably slide in just about anywhere in your forward group. Uh, so Maddie Beniers is, is my number one. Number two, I went with Dylan Genther. I believe that's how you pronounce his last name. Um, you really could have gone with like six or seven different people here. Uh, it's just my personal preference. I'd like to see some more scoring off the wings. Um, it's just kind of been, uh, the main thing we've been looking for scoring with the Ford group, uh, for the last 10 years or so, um, uh, seems like we're pretty good at center. So Dylan Genther, right wing, um, he could be a nice pick. Um, number three, uh, I've got Luke Hughes and I know there's a, there's a couple, you know, defensemen that you could throw in front of them. You, you mentioned Owen power. Um, yeah, for sure. You can really go any way you want with this. My thing is, Luke Hughes, he's going to Michigan next year. And by the way, Michigan is, like, I was going through this. Michigan is loaded. They've got Beneers, Owen Power, Luke Hughes. They got, like, a couple other guys, too, going in the first round. It's crazy. So they're going to be really good. But Luke Hughes, he's going to get some good development in Michigan. Um, He's somebody that you don't really have to bring into the organization that quickly. but you know, I think he's probably a safe, uh, you know, longer investment kind of player. Um, has top pairing de- uh, defensive potential. Uh, he is a left-handed defenseman, though, so you know he could be a really, really good second pairing defenseman for you in two or three years. Um, but you really could have went anywhere. Um, but those are my top three. Uh, if we follow the three. A dark horse that I would not mind us reaching for is Jesper Wallstedt, and I think we talked about him in our last episode, but he's a goalie. Um, I don't have a ton of information, but I've heard a lot of good things about him. Absolute stud of a goalie prospect. Um, So that wouldn't be the worst pick if we did fall to three. Um, Craig, any thoughts on my list there? Yeah, I like the list a lot, and uh, on Wallstead, I agree completely with the idea that if the Sabres do finish with the worst record but then fall to third, worst-case scenario, 
Um, everything I've read about him makes you kind of question question and, and, and think about him as a prospect. I know the Sabres have a lot of, I shouldn't say a lot, they have a handful of goaltending prospects that have shown some promise. I think it depends very much on Linus Allmark and his future. I think it very much depends on what their vision for UPL is moving forward. Um, you know, I don't know that you would you would use that kind of a premium pick on a goaltender unless you have a distinct plan in place for such a goaltender. Um, and obviously, you know, goalies tend to take a while. So even though he might be, you know, a, a top, I mean, he's probably going to be a top 10 pick no matter what, um, I would think, or a top half in the first round. Uh, he's still probably, you know, you're still probably looking at three or four years. And and that's a tough sell, I think, to the to this fan base. But at the same time, talent-wise, yeah, I wouldn't have a problem with it, to be honest with you. All right. Yeah, and honestly, like, I'm looking at the roster. We'll get into it later in the episode. But I'm looking at the roster for next year, and there's not, like, <laughs> I mean, you you said, like, three or four years out. The only glaring need is goal goaltending. At this point, like glaring need, obviously you can fill in holes. Um, but like, we've got a lot of players. We got a lot of pieces in the organization. They need to develop still, but the pieces are there. So it's kind of like, okay, it just depends on what Kevin Adams wants to do. Does he want a long-term project that could, you know, potentially be a, a Vesna candidate year in and year out? Or, you know, do you want to take something with a quicker turnaround? Like, a, you know, if Dylan Genther's there or, or, you know, whoever else. Um, so just a dark horse. I wouldn't mind it. Probably wouldn't be my favorite pick at three if we do fall. Um, I, I wouldn't go goalie in the top two picks. I mean, it worked for Pittsburgh with uh, with Mr. Flower, but <laughs> the odds of that working out for us, probably not so great. Probably not so great. Um, all right. So we're just going to jump on over. Um, we talked pretty glowingly about interim head coach Don Granado in our last episode. And Craig, I just wanted to revisit that. I mean, have your thoughts changed uh, since our last conversation regarding him? And, and can you still see him as a very possible front runner for the actual coaching position? No. And yes, my uh, position on him has not changed whatsoever. I know They've had over the past couple of weeks, they've had a couple of games that were throwing the trash kind of games against Boston and things like that. Um, but the one thing about this team under Don Granado, and I, for the life of me, I can't figure out which uh, action is actually causing this, where the causality is coming from. Because, you know, I, I watch this team and it's amazing how without the perceived top players you talk about Jack Eichel. You talk about Taylor Hall, who they traded away, who talent wise, talent wise was supposed to be one of the, was supposed to be one of their best players and how the, uh, and I don't like to use this word because it's so overused, but I'll use it anyway. The culture of this team seems to have changed a little bit. These guys are playing a hundred miles an hour all the time. And my question originally was, okay, is it, and we're talking veterans too. We're not talking about just the young guys. And, and you know, I mean, Kyle Lockpozo before his season ended seemed rejuvenated. And here's a guy who's been in the league forever. And the fans just want to harangue him with all kinds of, uh, all kinds of blame and things like that for, for all the stuff that all the ills of the Sabres and Don Granado comes in. All of a sudden you're starting to see old Kyle Lockpozo coming, coming back to the front. So for me, I've been very impressed with that. But my question was, was it just the honeymoon period? of the new of the new coach and then but you know it's really hard to say that it's the honeymoon period because it's been a long time now i mean they've had him you know behind the bench for a while and, and the effort is still there and you've got all of these all of these things uh going on with the sabers that all of a sudden they're playing well they're playing uh you know they're playing fast they're playing efficient and they're playing for each other i mean look at all of the whole michael hauser thing I mean, to be very honest, I didn't even know who Michael Hauser was when they signed him before training camp as just kind of an extra goalie. And here he is, two starts and two wins, and, and the guys are just pouring over the bench for him. And not only is it a great story, but it, it shows some character that I like to see. And if that's a reflection of Don Granado, then I want him there. I want him in Buffalo uh, for at least a few years because he's instilling something that I think 
the young guys can buy into and the veterans can appreciate. Uh, so I know there's still a huge faction of fans that want to do the coaching search and want to, uh, you know, all due diligence and all that nonsense. Uh, but to be very honest, this is my position. Uh, I'd like Don Granado to stay, and I'll tell you why. Uh, very succinctly, I want him to stay because he works for what's in that locker room. And that's the thing, because what, what's the most important thing in sports when it comes to coaches or players? It's fit, right? You've got how many times do you see free agents going from team to team and they don't play nearly as well on their new team as they did on the old team? And you say, well, why is that? Well, it's because of the fit. It's the fit on the team. It's the fit on a line. It's the fit in the city. It's the fit in the locker room, whatever, whatever the case is. But when you see something that actually works with the group that you're, for the majority, going to have next year, why would you change that to somebody else and run the risk of it not working and turning into a Ralph Kruger situation? Me, personally, I think he is the choice. I'm not saying he's a six-year contract kind of guy. I'm saying two years or so, whatever, a year, maybe even a year if you can get him to accept it. Me, personally, I'd like to see two years. I'd like to see his a, a more of a full body of work. Um, but I don't see how you don't hire him just on the basis of the fact that with the guys he has in the locker room right now, it's working. And why would you mess with that? But that's my take on it. John, yours? Uh, not much different, Craig. Not much different. Um, I mean, yeah, it's working. I mean, how many times have we seen coaches come in and out of this organization and just spin their tires in the mud, just not gain any traction? They don't look good. They can't adapt to the players in the organization, like you said. Um, it's just been a repetitive nonsense. I don't even know what I'm going to call it, but it, it's been annoying. So you see a coach that you know gets a chance, and not only is uh, is the team playing better, but you can like as fans, you know, you're excited for something, for some kind of hope. Um, and we're seeing that, you know, th there's a little bit more excitement for each game just because, you know, the effort's going to be there. Uh, the kids are being given the right opportunities that they need to develop and, and show what they're capable of. And, um, you know, I just don't think you can really uh, venture away from that. Yeah, you got to do your due diligence and, um, you know, do the interviews and then all that. But at the end of the day, uh, Donnie Granado, Donnie Meatballs, ladies and gentlemen, he really deserves uh, a real crack at it. And hopefully we'll be uh, all healthy next year and he can take advantage of a, a full NHL team. Hopefully, you know, no more uh, pandemic issues. Um, but, yeah, he, he's got my vote for sure. Um, anything more on Granado? Until I hear he has a contract, that's my statement on him. All right. All right. Good. And Craig, you actually did bring up uh, Michael Hauser with the Granado talk as well. And, and I wanted to get to him as well. Um, you know, the goalie carousel this season has been, oh, it's been wild. It's not even surprising at this point. I feel like it's happened to us in three of the last five years anyway. Um, but starting goaltender Linus Allmark, he's been in and out of the lineup throughout the season. Carter Hutton won 10 and one on the season. He's done for the year. Um, you know, we had Jonas Johansson 05 and one on the season traded to Colorado. Dustin Tokarski came in and, you know, no, no fault to Dustin Tokarski because he really played. You, you could see that he was given it his all every single night. And, you know, he picked up two wins. He went two, eight and two, but he, he, did a lot better than Carter Hutton did. So uh, that's, you know, you got something there. Um, Uko Pekka he came in. He looks all right. I Maybe we can talk about him as well. Uh, he's one and three on the season. Not the best, not worst. Um, and then Michael Hauser. Ladies and gentlemen, this, this guy is something else. Um, if you haven't gotten a chance to really look into his full story, his whole career, um, take some time to go check that out. Uh, maybe Craig's got some, uh, some info for you guys, but, um, he's played two NHL games in his entire life, uh, back to back wins against a very good New York Islanders team. Um, in his debut made 34 saves on 36 shots, um, and then followed it up with 45 saves on 48 shots. 
and then all three shootout attempts he saved in last night's game. Uh, I mean, can we just give a round of applause for Michael Hauser? Craig, this guy is something else, is he not? Yeah, and what I love about the story with Michael Hauser is how he had, I believe, somewhere they said uh, 16 operations on his feet from the time he was like two years old until, you know, recently. Uh, because he had, you know, f- uh, like foot defects. I think they called it club foot or something. I did, yeah. to be honest, I'm not exactly sure what they what exactly it was. But there was it was he had foot issues where he was bas- where he was basically told he wasn't ever going to play competitive sports. And here's a guy you're never going to play competitive sports who goes to the OHL is like the top goaltender in the OHL during certain stretches of his career there. And there were some pretty good OHL goalies, you know, there when he was when he was in that league. And, you know, then he goes to the ECHL in Cincinnati, and that's just kind of where he toils for a while. And then he gets called up to Rochester in the AHL, and everyone's looking at him like, well, he's just he's just kind of a guy, and he's just going to be there for a little while and whatever. And it's UPL show. And, and then through 73 different happenstance scenarios, he ends up in Buffalo. And people are just kind of going, yeah, all right, why not? Just put him in. I mean, I mean, who cares? And the guy steals the show twice against the playoff-bound Islanders. And to be very honest, I don't care if he ever wins another game for the Sabres again. He's one of the best goaltending stories the Sabres have had in their history, just just in terms of people stories. You know, kind of separate the idea that he's playing in the NHL and just look at him as a person and what he's had to overcome and the things that he's had to deal with and the fact that he's been able to, you know, realize a dream that so many of us had, but he had more adversity than most of us had. You know, most of us, most of our adversity was the fact that we just, we couldn't skate fast enough. We couldn't do the things you need to do. He had all that ability, but he had physical limitations that he had to overcome. And he's done that and has taken full advantage of, of his opportunity. And to be honest, you know, I don't think anyone's sitting here saying that he's going to be a long-term answer for the Sabres in goal, but that's not the point. He doesn't have to be. He, he is a shining example that you put on a, you know, you talk about putting guys on a poster. This is the guy you put on a poster. It doesn't matter what the rest of his pro career looks like. The reality is he overcame more than most people did or most people have or, or, or will and, and was able to live a dream that he worked harder for than most. And not only that, but he got to see some success out of it, too. You know, it's one thing to have your NHL appearance because of happenstance and things like that. It's another thing completely to take advantage of the way he has. So personally, I mean, I love the story. This, it's, it's the best story for me and this Sabres team this year. And I am just uh, I am just all kinds of happy for him. And, and he and he has earned that more than anybody else that, that I know of. And, and like I said, no matter what happens from here on out, he's still the best story of this season. Yeah, for sure. And and with only two games left in the in the season, you know, give them give them the two starts. You know, nobody else is healthy anyway. Uh Tikarski, UPL, Hutton, they're all out for the season. Allmark, I guess he's been like day to day, but there's no sense in bringing him back for two games. Give Hauser, you know, two more NHL game checks. He's des- he's earned it. He's played very very well. Awesome awesome story and you know, it adds a little bit to, to the games and um, even from our perspective and other media members, you know, after post-game interviews, uh, just talking about them, it's an awesome, awesome story to cover. Um, they don't come around maybe but like once or twice a year in the entire NHL. Um, so, yeah, shout out to Michael Hauser. Um, you know, he's, he's going to be a uh, UFA at the end of the year, so I hope he can um, find another contract and continue his venture from there. Um, but yeah, he's been, he's been pretty good lately. So, uh, so that's been pretty cool. Um, and then Craig, we're just going to keep things rolling tonight. Uh, this off season, we've got another expansion draft. Um, and it will be, like I said, the Seattle Kraken. Um, so we're going to, we're just going to go through a little bit. Uh, who are you protecting and, who is exposed? Who are you exposing to Seattle? So you can either pick, uh, you can protect seven forwards, three defensemen, and a goalie, or a combination of eight total skaters and one goalie. Um, so Craig, do you have a list over there for me? 
I don't have an exact list, but I'll say it this way. I'll kind of invert the idea here. Uh, I mean, there are some obvious guys, of course, that you would protect and your Jack Eichel and your Sam Reinhart if, if, of course, they work out a contract with him, which I hope they do um, instead of a one-year qualifying offer or whatever other nonsense they could try to give him. Um, but the point is, you know, th- there are guys that you would definitely just automatically protect. I think what's what I think is really interesting is actually the conversation on the other end, because, you know, two months ago, you asked me about the expansion draft. I said, is there a way Seattle can take three or four guys? Because, I mean, you know, it, it's kind of the opposite where, you know, uh, uh, Jason Bottrell paid Vegas not to take Linus Allmark and they took William Carrier instead. Well, it, it, two months ago, I'm going, you know, maybe maybe uh, uh, Seattle could just take three guys for the price of one. Uh, and, and I just didn't care who they were for the most part. Now, after seeing the youth movement and after seeing, um, you know, the, the veterans playing a whole lot better, it there's a lot of questions for me. And, and actually, there's a little bit of fear uh, involved in who they could take and who could be exposed because the, the most common Two guys that I've seen bandied about and discussed in terms of who would be exposed. Uh, And this would be in a uh, non-bribing situation. And what I mean by that is with the Sabres bribing Vegas not to take Linus Allmark by giving them a draft pick, um, the Sabres could go that route. You know, they could go that route and try to convince Seattle to take uh, a contract. Uh, Kyle Pozo, Colin Miller, uh, Jeff Skinner, which would be a very difficult transaction to make i'm sure uh but those would be more of that bribing kind of situation could they do that they've got a lot of extra draft picks it's a possibility but if we're looking at it just from the raw perspective of who they would just expose and be taken the two guys that have been the most commonly discussed are rasmus asplund and uh, anders bjork and to be very honest you know i flip-flopped ever since they've gotten bjork uh, the Sabres, I flip-flop between which guy, if I had that choice of two. And Tage Thompson's name's been in there and things like that. But um, it, those are the two guys that I think Sabres fans are, are are preparing to lose one of them, unless, again, there's a bribery situation again. And, you know, up till last night, I wanted uh, Asplund to stay very, very much. Uh, and Bjork, I thought he was pretty expendable. And then last night, he showed why the Sabres got him, right? They showed why he was part of that Taylor Hall deal with the two goals and the shootout winner. And, you know, that's the offensive production that that Bruins fans said they thought he had the ability to create. He was just buried on bottom lines in Boston because of the talent they have there. So, and then you look at Rasmus Asplund and you say, well, he's also been a, a great contributor for this team. But the thing about him is that he has positional flexibility and he can play center and he could play the Johan Larson role down the road, potentially. And we have seen how valuable Larson would have been to this team this season. So, you know, I, I'm having a real hard time deciding which of those two I would pick if, if, if those were my choices, which it seems like would probably be the most likely scenario. If I had to pick right now, a guy to expose from that group and just say, okay, I'd prefer to lose him. It would be Anders Bjork only because, you know, playing the wing, they are easier to replace. Asplund has that positional versatility, which is so important in today's game and does a lot of things very well at a very young age that I think he'll stick in Buffalo long term. I think his days of the AHL are done. Um, so if it was between those two guys, I would still prefer Bjork to be that guy, even though the optics are kind of tough on that because he was part of that Taylor Hall trade that didn't net them a first round pick. So he ends up becoming kind of the, the boost to that second round pick. Right. And so it's a very difficult situation with the guys playing as well as they have been because two months ago, this would have been a a fun conversation. Now it's kind of laborious a little bit because I don't really want to see any of them go. Yeah, that's that's a very good point, and that really is kind of the main argument uh, for the Sabers uh, as to what they want to do. Um, so, just for those of you that are listening, uh, if the Sabers go with the seven forwards, three defensemen, and one goalie to protect, which is probably the most likely, um, basically the forwards would be Eichel, Reinhardt, uh, Skinner has a no movement clause, so we have to protect him. Uh, Still have to re-sign Reinhardt. Um, Olafson, 
Middlestat, Tage Thompson, and then it's the Asplund and Bjork debate for the last forward spot. Um, you know, this might be a scenario where you do send a third or fourth round pick to Seattle to not take one of those guys um, and then give them another pick to take Cody Eakin. Uh, <laughs> uh, or Kyle Oposo for cap salary purposes, but uh, yeah, Asplund and Bjork, man, they're both they're both really good players, and you can honestly flip it either way, and I could probably get behind the argument. Uh, Anders Bjork definitely a more offensive player, uh, higher potential in that regard, um. And but Rasmus Asplund is, has shown that he's such a feisty, complete player. Um, really, really love his game style. So it's a toss-up. The only the only big difference, I guess, when comparing the two, you could look at position for sure. Uh, but Anders Bjork is tied down for two more seasons at one point six million dollars, and then will be an RFA. Uh, Rasmus Asplund, <clears throat> he's going to be an RFA this offseason. So, you know, maybe Kevin Adams uh, gets into the discussion. All right, Asplund talking to his agent. You know, what kind of money are you wanting? If he's if he's like, oh, we're looking at like three point two million. You know, obviously you can work down from that, but Bjork would probably be the cheaper option at the end of the day. So that could be that could be part of the decision as well. Um, personally, I'd like to you know throw a little bit of a draft pick in there and uh, ask Seattle to politely take Cody Eakin from our hands. Um, <laughs> and then just to keep going, the, the protected three defensemen, most likely Darlene, uh, Rista Linen, and Yoki Haru are what people are saying. Um, and then basically who you would have exposed total, Cody Eakin, Kyle Poso. Uh, Bjork or Asplund, obviously we talked about that, and Zemgus Gergensen's on the back end. Colin Miller, Jake McCabe, he's a UFA, so that kind of depends on what his situation will be. And then uh, we will be exposing Dustin Tokarski. So um, not too bad. Won't uh, won't be losing a terribly important player, but you know we'll see. We'll see. Um, Craig, are you nervous for the expansion draft? Uh, a little bit, actually, uh, because I really what makes me nervous is the fact that the Sabres have found some chemistry, at least on the front end. And I really hate the idea of losing that chemistry for free. You know, it's different when you lose it in a trade. It's different when you lose it in free agency. That's just part of the business. And this is also part of the business. But this is this is an annoying part of the business because you're basically just giving somebody away for no for no apparent reason. Uh, and I and I don't like that. Uh, for me personally, uh, I would love to see them dangle a lesser carrot because honestly, if if the carrot for them to take Cody Egan would have to be multiple first round picks and cash <laughs> uh, and and firstborn children, I'm sure somewhere <laughs> along the line as well. Uh, I, I I don't think uh, I think people are just kind of you know leave that one alone. Uh, but honestly, for me, I wouldn't mind them. I wouldn't mind seeing them dangling a lesser carrot for like Colin Miller, for example, because mm -hmm. if you remember, Colin Miller was in Vegas when Vegas was an expansion team. Yep. He was a, he was a great piece to their defense core. He's been a part of an expansion team. Can you utilize that as a bargaining chip for Seattle to take Colin Miller, who is a still relatively useful player for a lesser pick? You know, so he would be my guy that I would kind of uh, push in that regard. Uh, I don't think that really would make much of a difference, you know, his past. But at the same time, you never know what. Because remember, Jason Bottrell is part of that uh, management group in Seattle. So when it comes to Buffalo, he's going to be very, very, very familiar with these guys. And look, he acquired Colin Miller. He wanted Colin Miller. So if he wants him again, hey, opportunity for him. You get to have some of your old mates, no problem. Uh, but hopefully it's not uh, uh, Asplund or Bjork, who, I mean, Asplund, he didn't draft, right? You know, Murray drafted Asplund, and Bjork was obviously acquired by Adams. So, you know, and the NHL is a, a funny business. You got these these managers who they, they want to be surrounded by people they're comfortable with and, and people who they already know, and, you know, so they want their guys. Well, you know, for the Sabres, maybe Bottrell takes one of his guys, which would be absolutely outstanding. 
Yeah, I you know I do think uh, the spotlight kind of does fall on Miller there, um, especially if you dangle a little bit of a a little carrot in front of him as well, maybe like a fifth or a sixth round draft pick. Hey, take Miller. Don't don't worry about that Asplund guy or Bjork. They're not very good. You don't want them. You just you go ahead and take Colin Miller. He'll do a good job for you. You can stick him on the second pair. End of the day, you're happy. You know, Colin Miller's a good player. I don't have anything against him. Um, I just think he's expen- expendable with all the youth movement you've got coming up the back end. So, um, yeah, Colin Miller might be might be the guy that you know is uh, selected to go to Seattle, Washington. Um, might have to cop a a Colin Miller Kraken jersey if he goes over there. <laughs> um, so yeah, not not too worried, but. You know, like you said, don't want to lose that chemistry that we're finally building. So we'll see what happens. Um, All right, moving along, we've got a shout out for Sam Reinhart because he has been definitely one of the top two players for this team all season long. Let's be honest. He's leading the team in points. Um, He's got a career high. 25 goals on a on an extremely shortened season. Um, prior to last night's game, he had eight goals, two assists in his last six games. Um, pretty impressive. Craig, what have you seen uh, from Sam Reinhart that, that's really stuck out to you? Uh, a little bit of everything. Uh, first of all, uh, let me get out the uh, shout-out portion of the event because that could take me another 20 minutes just uh how amazingly he has played and how uh tremendously he's played at his quote-unquote natural position of center i mean here's a guy who was drafted number two overall as a center and has had absolutely virtually no opportunity to play at the nhl level as a center because all these coaching staffs looked at him and said now he's a winger he he can't play at the nhl level as a center he's not fast enough he's not whatever they said, he didn't have a good enough shot, you know, and the reality is it was never about his defense because he was always known as a really smart hockey player, a guy who could play in both ends. There was no, that was one of, one of his greatest traits coming out of the WHL. And so, but for whatever reason, these coaching staffs just thought they were ahead of the curve. They were going to put him at wing and that was it. He developed a little chemistry with Jack Eichel, as we all know those stories. And so they felt justified in keeping him there which was okay because truly he and Jack Eichel were some of the most consistent offensive producers on this team, even in these darkened seasons. But now comes the anger because here, here's why John, I I'm thrilled with this season and fired up beyond belief with this season that Sam Reinhardt is having because Sam Reinhardt this year has, is having a number two overall pick type season. He is now producing at a clip that is appropriate for his draft status. And he's doing it at center, which is a much harder position to do these things than at wing. And, oh, get get this, he's doing it away from Jack Eichel, where nobody said he could, and he's doing it no problem. And this is all wonderful for Buffalo, right? Yeah, kind of, except for the fact that the managerial teams that the Sabres have had over the past five years have all had their heads tucked into places they wish they hadn't and decided, you know what? He's a good player, but not good enough for any length of contract. Let's give him a one-year deal, a qualifying offer, one year here, bridge deal there. And you know what's going to happen now? Now they're going to pay for it. If they had any kind of foresight at all to say, look, he is developing. And, and I think, John, you could agree. Every every year Sam Reinhardt has played, he's developed. It hasn't been huge leaps and bounds, but it's been enough to be noticeable. Small increments, indeed, but enough to go, you know, he's not getting any worse. And I've yet to see him top out. So why wouldn't the Sabres go, OK, look, his numbers aren't fantastic. Let's lock him up for, say, five million a year. Let's say a couple of years ago and do a four- or five-year deal. Nothing huge, just a four- or five-year deal. Because right now, he'd be in the middle of that deal, and the Sabres would be reaping the benefits of a great contract. Oh, no. Oh, no. Now, they, they, they get this. He has another year where you can give him a qualifying offer, and you still hold his rights and everything like that. Great. That's fantastic. If you do that, you're, you're almost guaranteeing you're walking him out the door when he hits UFA status. 
because you've treated him like garbage when it comes to contracts and compensation. The guy has proven time and time again that he is an excellent NHL hockey player. This year, he's actually bordering on that E word, the elite word. When you start talking about guys like that, you're not getting guys, even in a flat cap stage, you're not getting guys of his ilk for less than $7 million a season when you could have had him for five. I mean, I could have easily seen them signing him for the Daniel Briere contract offer five years, 25 million, right? I could have seen them signing him for that in a couple of years, a couple of years ago, and it would have been an absolute steal today if they had any foresight at all. But guess what? They have no foresight. So now they're going to be uh, they're going to be uh, dealing with Jack Eichel's gigantic contract, which he has earned. So you can't take that away from him, but it's still there. It's still a number they have to contend with. Jeff Skinner's virtual albatross of a contract number. And now, and Rasmus Dahlin's not going to play for free coming down the pike. And Dylan Cousins isn't going to play for free. Yes, they have their rights for a long time. I understand that, but that's not even the point. The point is Sam Reinhart is not a guy who you say, well, he's the odd man out. Well, then you're going to continue to be basement dwellers because you need more Sam Reinharts and less Cody Eakins. And, and and it just it drives me nuts that this team is going to uh, stall its way into a corner and not be able to pay this guy the money he richly deserves and, and, and has earned. If any guy in the Sabres team that has earned a contract, it's him. He's put in more games, more production, uh, more progression than any other guy in this team that doesn't have a long term deal. And it it it, it may. Oh. I mean, it burns when I start thinking about this stuff, John, just because, you know, the, every I really do believe most fans could see this coming a mile away that, look, you've got to lock him up at least for a little bit. And nope, they're just going to push it off, push it off, push it off. And I think it's going to come back to bite him as soon as next offseason. Mm, man, we'll see. Uh, Craig, to follow up, don't get too comfortable because I have a couple questions uh, before we move on from Sam Reinhart. Um, you know, we really want to lock him up this offseason. If he if he decides that he's going to go to arbitration and get a one-year deal, uh, you know, you said it. He's he's probably walking out the door in the offseason. And if he's not, we're overpaying him just to, to get him to stay. And, you know, that's not the right mentality to have at all. Uh, so you got to find, you got to come to an agreement this offseason, uh, long-term deal, you know, Eichel is – in for five more years um, going into next year. Skinner's in for six more. You know, Reinhardt's one of those guys that you want to keep around for like forever. So like <laughs> just sign him to a big contract. Like Craig, what do you think? This is one of the questions for you. What do you think it would get? Uh, it would take to get Sam Reinhardt here for six to eight years in a contract, what what kind of uh, money would we be looking at? Do you think? I think the Sabers would do very well, very well, if they could get him around that six and a half to seven million dollar range. Now, I think the only thing, and and I think that's that's a nice contract for him. Uh, the only thing that is in their favor when it comes to negotiating money is the fact that it is a flat cap, and that the the players' union does understand that. that yeah. I mean, truly, I mean, there isn't any money to go around. It's not like teams are playing hardball here. It, 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 the truth of the matter is the financials are not great anywhere right now. So if they're going to negotiate that with him this, this offseason, they do have that a little bit. Um, the problem is, you know, you know as well as I do, that when you start talking about buying UFA years, that usually costs the team a little bit more. Because normally, when you're when you're giving them an extension and there's RFA years in there, that's where the team gets a little bit of a bonus. And then you end up paying for the UFA years a little bit down the road, which is a nice little give and take. Team gets a little bit of value. Player gets a nice contract early on and then, you know, is commensurate with their with the the. Uh, the production down the road. Okay, perfect situation. Of course, the Sabres have bundled, just bungled this horribly at this point where his production is now outweighing his contract. And when production outweighs contract, you end up with Jeff Skinner. And, and you know, 140-goal season gets him $9 million a year. And Sam Reinhart's been consistent, and that's the thing. That, 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 that messes them up even more. 
because you know I I would love six six and a half six would be an absolute just an amazing team friendly deal. I don't think that happens now. I think that could have happened a couple of years ago. I think it easily could have happened a couple of years ago. Uh, I think now six and a half seven is probably your floor because he's looking at Jeff Skinner and going, hey, this guy had like fourteen points this year and he made nine million dollars. I outscored him just in goals away from our best player. And and why am I not making nine million dollars now? I don't think he will. I don't think he will. But at the same time, his agent would not be doing his job if he didn't push for that kind of money. He's three times the player Jeff Skinner is. And why can't he make similar money to him? And and, and the Sabres are going to end up losing quality players because of contract and salary considerations because they they mishandled his career to this point so badly. So, uh, like I said, I, I would say $7 million would be a nice, comfortable number, uh, especially if the cap does go up after this whole flat cap scenario kind of works itself out. But I, I don't know. I, I think they would be lucky to get him at that number at this point, even though they could have had him probably for five, five and a half, six a few years ago and chose uh, not to do that and kick the can down the road. Well, the can of baked beans just exploded in your face. Enjoy. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah, I'm I'm probably, you know, realistically with with everything uh considered, you know, if we can get him within half a million on either side of of 7 million a year for 6 to 8 years, uh you know, I think ultimately we can be happy with that and it's not the it's not crazy at all to think he'll be outperforming that contract even as soon as next year. Um so you know, I think I think as long as he's interested, there's no reason we shouldn't be getting this done uh, this offseason. Um, last question for Sam Reinhart, and and don't get into lines yet, Craig, because we've got that we got that next. Um, but if just a quick question, if Eichel returns to the team next year, should Sam Reinhart continue to play at center or go back to Eichel's wing? Uh, center number two, and I think you put that in concrete. I don't. I don't even think you write that in pencil. You put that in concrete, and I, I'm I'm more comfortable right now with a center spine of Eichel, Reinhardt, Middlestat, and taking Cousins and putting him on a wing, because he's he's proven that he can play. His versatility is, is as such that he can play the wing very well. And 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 there is some truth to the traditional hockey thinking of putting young guys on the wing first and then acclimating them to center. Uh, Reinhardt has kind of shown that you know, he was ready for it for a long time. And it was just his chemistry with Eichel, which kind of put him in the scenario where they didn't need him there. But now that they see him there and see him thriving there, boy, does that open up so many avenues and so many things they can do in the offseason and gives them that positional flexibility. So I, I, I think if you move him back to the wing, you've lost your mind. And I lost my mind years ago. So um, I could understand, I guess, if somebody would do that. But at the same time, I, I, I don't see any... Uh, situation where you do that and then you could actually defend it uh, correctly, I, at least in my opinion. Yeah, 100% agree with you. And uh, just to add to that, especially if Don Granado's back, like if especially if he's the coach, he's seeing Reinhardt's his top center right now and he's playing very, very well. So there's just, it doesn't, there's nothing, nothing makes sense to me to put, <laughs> to take Reinhardt off of the center position. Um, so with that said, we're going to roll into the fun part. It's been a while, uh, since we've talked about potential lineups. Um, but you know what? We're looking better. The team's a little bit more fun to watch. The awful season's almost over. We got to look at next year, Craig. And, um, you know, I threw together a, a whole lineup really, uh, mostly of players that are still, I, I'm sorry, all, all the players are within our organization now. Um, so this is, this is not considering any draft picks, no trades, no signings. This is just with who we have right now. Um, your, your list might be a little different. Um, let's just do top line and, and go down from there, I guess. Um, so my first line, I've got Jeff Skinner, Eichel, and my right wing was a tough choice. And I'm, I'm, I'm very open to changing it. But as of now, I've got Kyle Oposo up there. Uh, if he comes back next year, you know, he looked pretty good this year with all things considered. And, um, you know, he's played with Eichel before and and uh, hopefully the Eichel and Skinner combo can can 
you know, get their their swagger back. And you add Oposo, who who plays a right brand of hockey, maybe not the most talented player, but you know, I think that's a pretty good uh, pretty good top line, and you know, it'll show a little bit of balance throughout my lineup. So, what what does your top line look like, Craig? I I love the Skinner Eichel combo. That's where that's where Skinner got forty goals. Yep. I mean, basically, it, it has been proven to work. Again, th- this this harkens back to what I was talking about with Don Granado. When it works, why are you messing with it? Uh, and that worked. So, and, and I would love to see Skinner and Eichel together under Don Granado's scheme. I think that would be a really interesting combination. A lot of offense, you know, pedal pedal down the whole way. Uh, which is why on my right wing on the first line, I'm putting Dylan Cousins because I like what Dylan Cousins does in all three zones. I like his effort. I like his workmanship, but I like his skill. You know, he's got skill. He's got finesse. He's got a hard nose game, too. He to me, he's kind of the glue of that line. Uh, He would be a really difficult guy to deal with. Uh, if he was with a guy like Eichel and Jeff Skinner as well. I, I really like the idea of their talents meshing. Uh, but the one thing I want to say, John, that I really like what you did, you got Victor Olofsson off that first line. Uh, you know, Victor Olofsson, I, I like him. I mean, truly, he, he's a consider where he was drafted and what he's become. I mean, he's, a, he's another great story and should be a saber for a long time. But he's just not spectacular five-on-five. He just isn't. He's a great power play specialist, and he's good enough to have a regular rotation in the lineup. Just not, just not on my first line. That's just the way I look at it. With that, so I was glad to see you taking him off the first line. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I, I'm just gonna agree with everything you said on Olson there. Uh, I do like Cousins up there. I actually, I heavily thought about that. My only um, con that I could think of is, you know. Michael is the best puck carrier on your entire team and Dylan cousins. He does that pretty well. Um, so I don't, I just don't know if there's enough puck to go around between Eichel and cousins, but I mean, who cares? I'm sure they could make it work. And, and you know, when you said cousins up there, you heard my, Ooh, so I, I was intrigued by that. I, I do like the idea of that. Um, so yeah, I like that. That's pretty good. Uh, Craig, you go first for line two. Let's hear it. Well, line two is interesting for me because of the new developments really on this team. And I, I would say really uh, Sam Reinhart centers that line. I don't think there's any question about that for me. Uh, now, I, I'm assuming, and, and this is where it's a little difficult, I, I'm just going to assume that the expansion draft, uh, just for this exercise, Colin Miller was taken. Yep. So Colin Miller was the what was dangle with a carrot, and so when we get to defense, we'll deal with that. But I'm assuming then that you still have Bjork, you have re-signed or at least qualified Aspland, and you're you're working with that group. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, then I've got Sam Reinhart as your second line center. Uh, I like the idea of Anders Bjork on his left side. In fact, Don Granado even said before the last game that he put Bjork with Reinhardt because he thought there'd be a little bit of a spark and he was right. Uh, but I'll tell you what, isn't it nice to have a coach who goes, you know what, this might work. And it does. And then he keeps it <laughs> or, 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 or even better. He go, he, he's thinking about chemistry. You know, it's, it, it's not the Ralph Kruger days of, well, this is, the, this is what I want and we're going to make this work. No, he he's looking at it and going, Cody Egan, this guy, no good. How much has Cody Egan played over the last couple of weeks? Not much. I mean, he scored a goal yesterday, so you have to give him a little bit of credit. But at the same time, it seems like Granado's just pushing the buttons. And so again, again, assuming he's there, assuming he stays, this is a this that's a combination that I like, and I wouldn't mind having having uh, Bjork and Reinhardt uh, on line two, and then on the right side. Now, this is where I had trouble uh, because of other chemistry scenarios and other chemistry considerations. But I'm going to put on the right side. Uh, of of those two guys, I'm actually going to put Victor Olison, and, and I know, I know, you know, we're talking a left shot playing the right side, but for me, you know, I, I don't want him up on my first line, but I don't see a real great place for him in the bottom six either, especially on the fourth line. Maybe you could talk me into the third line. I think that would be a pretty good spot too. But for me, I'm okay with Olison on the second line with Reinhardt and Anders Bjork. Mm, I have the same exact second line. I love it. I love it. Great minds and all that. That's right. 
No, but yeah, like Anders Bjork, man. I, you know, our sample size is small, but he has played well. He looks good. He's got speed. He's got the offensive flair. If you give him a whole season with Sam Reinhart and then just toss Victor Olsen on, on his off wing and just tell him, find the open ice. Like both of Bjork and Reinhardt are really good passers and they both have a really great shot. And so does Olsen. So to me, that seems like it could be a really good line. I know a lot of people, even, even yourself, Craig, you don't necessarily like Olsen's five on five game. That's fair. I'm not going to say you're wrong. Cause I, I, part of me agrees with that as well. Um, but it has gotten better. I've seen plays out of Victor Olsen that I hadn't seen in the past two years. Or I, I'm sorry, just, I guess, has it been two years? Is this his third year? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, how, right. However long it's been, uh, Victor Olsen, he has looked a bit better on the five-on-five five game. He's finding players. He's he's actually just tossing some darts across ice. Um there was one in the game last night. I forget who he, he found across the ice, but he had him wide open. It might have been Skinner when he got hooked or something. Um, but yeah, I like that line a lot as a second line. Um, obviously, a lot of offensive potential while still being defensively responsible. Um, and then it allows us to get into a very, very good bottom six. Um, so Bjork, Reinhardt, Olsen, we've we've got that double deuce in there. Um, Craig, third line. Let's let's hear it, man. So, third line for me was a little bit easier, only because of something that we've seen once again—a development for this year. I've got Casey Middlestat centering the third line. I've got Tage Thompson riding shotgun with him on the right. Uh, what was interesting for me was who was going to go with them, uh, and for me, that's R two Rotsalainen. I I really have liked his game as well, and and I I really think those three guys have a real. Because I know, you know, Asplund has been that guy in there as well. Um, and But at the same time, I, I, I liked Ritzelainen's game to the point where I'd rather put Asplund down the fourth line and, and really kind of balance things out a little bit myself. So that would, be, that would be my number three line. And boy, that's a lot of potential there. Mm, okay. All right. I mean, I've got, I've got Asplund, Middlestat, and Thompson. Um, they have looked really, really good together. Um, obviously, the chemistry is there. It seems like every time they're out on the ice, they're getting opportunities. Um, and I think if you can keep that line together as like your third line for like the next four or five years, that would be so cool to watch them all just progress together. Um, a young, very talented line, fast uh, and defensively responsible. If that's your third line next year, Whew. or should I say sheesh? <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's looking pretty good. Um, so Asplund is my left winger. You've got Rootsalainen. Rutzelein- um, he's on my fourth line, Craig. My fourth line from left to right reads Gergensen's Cousins, and Rootsalainen. And, you know, some of you out there listening right now might not be so happy with me putting Dylan Cousins on the fourth line. Okay, just take a deep breath because it's going to be fine because who knows if these are even going to be the lines, all right? So calm down. Dylan Cousins might not be on the fourth line. But even if he is, even if he is, ladies and gentlemen, he is a great center. He can play anywhere in your forward lineup. Um, You know, you could throw him up at Eichel's right wing for sure. Uh, But I'd, I'd like to give him a shot at center the fourth line going up against not great competition and Gergensen's and Rutzelainen are good players. Um, so if that's your fourth line, that's a deep, deep lineup. And uh, yeah, I'd be pretty happy with that. Craig, what does your fourth line look like? Well, it looks like I might've lost Craig there. Uh, so I'm just going to go to the defensive pairings that I have for next year. I'll run through them real quick. Um, Obviously, Dowling's going to be on your top line. Uh, his his partner, you can really go a couple different ways with this. I just put Will Borgen up there. Um, I think that's a really balanced top pairing. Um, we've seen Yoki Haru get a look with Dowling this year. It looks really good, honestly. Um, so you could go either way there, but I've got Borgen uh, on Dowling's right side. 
Second pairing, I'm going to keep uh, Matthias Samuelson and Ristolainen together. I think it's a nice, uh, big, defensive, um, heavy-bodied pairing uh, to throw in your in your second pair there. Um, so that's my middle. And then I've got Jake McCabe. I'd, I'd like to re-sign him. Um, he is kind of expendable at this point, but I'd like to see him back. Uh, and then Jacob Bryson on his right side, he's just shown that he is a full-time NHLer, um, needs to be in the lineup every single night. And unfortunately, uh, that would leave Yoki Haru as the odd man out. Um, but I still am keeping him on the team. Um, so he does, he does need to be re-signed. So we'll see what happens, but, uh, that's my seven defensemen for next year. And, uh, I'd be pretty happy with that. Um, moving right on to goalies. Obviously we need to re-sign Linus Allmark at all costs. Um, if he's not on the team next year, we, I, it's, there's just not much hope. Um, <laughs> and then whether UPL is ready to be his backup next year or not, I'm still undecided on that. We saw four games from him this year, so much too small of a sample size. Um, so I don't know if he's going to be the backup. If he's not the backup, um, I don't feel comfortable with Dustin Tokarski as the full-time backup. He can play in Rochester. I don't mind keeping him in the organization. Uh, but you you probably need to address the goaltending position uh, one way or another this offseason. And, you know, that's a pretty good lineup, I think. Um, odds are there's going to be some changes that we'll see. Uh, just obviously every offseason there's a couple of moves uh, that happen. But, um, yeah, gives you gives you some hope. You know, you've got some chemistry that we've seen form this season uh, under Granado. And, if you can keep building on that through into next season, um, it's a little bit encouraging for once. So uh, with that, um, I'm going to wrap it up. Craig, I think his computer died, uh, so we lost him a little early tonight, but appreciate him joining me as well. And uh, we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks again for listening to the Buffalo Hockey Central podcast, and have a good one. Bye. Bye.